Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Can you believe it's August already? I can. Oh, no, It actually, happens. We're, we're recording this <laughs> we're in <time> July. <laughs> it's all a lie. I, yeah. My July was great. How was yours? My July was amazing. Especially that part where you had to put on a conference about ketogenic diet for a week. And I was touring in Germany for the modern web tour with Telerik. Was that awesome no, that or what? That was a great part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, somebody tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, I have something a little different for Better Know Framework today, and I wonder awesome. if you guys have heard about it. Hit me. Roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? This is LimeBike. Hmm. If you go to LimeBike.com, uh, it's basically a shareable electric scooter that is locked, and you unlock it with an app. Cool. And you lock it with an app. So you basically rent it with an app. You go over to it. You unlock it with the app. You electric scoot to wherever you're going. And then you lock it back up again. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. This has become a thing in San Francisco. There's like a half a dozen different electric scooter companies out there now. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to get around in that city. I believe I heard a story that Google has uh, invested a few million dollars into this company. So they kind of like it. And by a few, I think it's 300, 300 million. That's what I heard. Uh, a million here, a million there. Pretty soon, it's real money. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, watch the uh, watch the video. It, it, it's a really cool idea, and these things are so light and uh, so portable. That's it. That's what I got. Yeah. No, there's a real flat-out scooter war going on out there, and... The Lime guys are one of them. Yep. Awesome. So, who's talking to us today, Richard? Uh, I grabbed a comment off of show 1540, which we did in April 2018 with Frank Krueger talking about we. Yeah. You know, I know we're going we're gonna to have some conversations about building you know, mobile apps and, and uh, UIs and various experiences. They're all challenging. No two ways about it. Mm -hmm. And we was a really cool conversation because Frank's amazing. And, you know, just thinking about more and better ways to make a UI and better tooling. This comment comes from uh, Larry Lustig, who says, Frank Krueger is even crazier than his brother, Freddy. Freddy Krueger, <laughs> really. Oh, man. But at least in a good way, crazy. Writing an object-oriented generator for .NET to HTML is a great idea. I'm going to guess that a lot of us have set foot on this path at one time or another before deciding it didn't provide enough leverage over HTML templates to make it worthwhile. The secret sauce in Wii is the automatic synchronization between the .NET object model and the DOM, eliminating the need to write any rendering code. Yeah, yeah. But for all of its idiosyncrasies, the HTML DOM is still a familiar object model. Where I spend a lot of my time, and generate enormous frustration, is on the CSS, which doesn't behave like an object model at all. Frustrated with CSS. How could that be? How does that happen? That's the strangest thing. CSS is called writing outside the box. <sighs> it would be great to see an object-oriented approach to styling using .NET styling classes, which could be bound to elements in a structural object model to emit somehow CSS that would behave as a programmer might expect it to. XAML the CSS, anyone? That doesn't sound hard mm. at all. Mm. What could go wrong? I have no idea how this might be accomplished, but I bet Frank does. Mm. Yeah. Frank's pretty smart, man. He yep. might just have a way to solve that problem. He's certainly thinking about it. 
So, Larry, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at botnetrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. Absolutely. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We... <laughs> Oh, I get it. <laughs> get to do it with a French accent, though. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to do that with a French accent. It kind of sound like a siren. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Larry Lustig, he was at Keto Fest. One of my oh, peeps really? from New York City. Yeah. Oh, nice. Good guy. All right. Let's bring on our guest today. Matt Netco has been a software developer, consultant, and teacher for over 10 years while initially focused on back-end .NET application development, a few years ago, he started paying attention to an increasingly popular language called JavaScript. Hmm. Quick, maybe you've heard of it. He quickly fell <laughs> in love with building PhoneGap mobile apps and has been involved with front-end technologies ever since. Recently, he joined Ionic as a product evangelist to help spread the word about cross-platform web-based mobile apps. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here, guys. Welcome, Matt. See what I did there? Nice. nice. <laughs> this is going to be all Matt jokes now. You're you're a longtime fan of the show, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, and awesome. I've seen you guys live, too. I think my favorite moment was maybe around 2012 at that conference. You guys had a great talk on bourbon or whiskey or one of, oh, one of the yeah. nerd out geek out shows. So yeah, been a fan ever since. Yeah. And that was just dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just dinner we recorded the whiskey geek out in montreal i'm pretty sure that's right we did yeah the that conference show that we did a geek out at was for 900 and it was the automated driving show mm. yeah and you talked about uber for the first time yeah i think it's awesome that the things are coming around like you know people who've been listening to our show for all these years are now becoming guests and i think that's so cool yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I certainly agree. Yeah. We did our first show on PhoneGap in like 2010 when yeah. it was still PhoneGap before Adobe got it. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, you know, the idea that it was going to fill the gap before until HTML5 sort of did took over mm. and yet it's never gone away. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And that's what I'm excited to talk about today, kind of the evolution of PhoneGap, hybrid apps, what that whole space looks like today. Tell us, tell us. Yeah. So why is PhoneGap still being used? Like what's the gap it's still filling that, that HTML couldn't do on its own? Sure, sure. That's a great starting point. So to kind of back it up a little bit, PhoneGap falls under what we call a hybrid app and mobile app development approach. And the idea behind that is kind of like as developers, as we all know, whether you're thinking of Java from back in the day or all different types of languages, we just... There's so many of us out there that are obsessed with the write once, run everywhere mantra and are right. always pursuing those kind of solutions, right? Mm. And this is certainly no different uh, and kind of came up between or kind of came up for the mobile space initially and it's expanded into the desktop and uh, mobile browsers and things like that. Yeah. So to kind of highlight the hybrid approach is involves at the end of the day, creating a, a native mobile app like you're used to. Um, but instead of using native technologies like Objective-C or Swift for iOS or Java for Android, you're using uh, web technologies, HTML5, CSS, and JavaScript. 
And so you mentioned PhoneGap and kind of what that looks like. So PhoneGap apps acts as the technology that allows these type of apps to be compiled and, and bundled into native apps that your end user downloads. And really, the big, it, it's leveraging a little bit of native code and a little bit of JavaScript behind the scenes to take your your developers web assets and, and images and things and bundling that into a native app shell so that again for the end user it still looks like a native app but you're able to code it up in web technologies now if I remember correctly one of the other advantages of phone gap approach is because it was technically still just kind of running in a browser you got to use all that tech but it wasn't actually connected to the internet that way. So you also had access to the device. You got access to its camera and GPS and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. back when there were no standards in HTML for any of that. Is that still true? Correct. Correct. And that's, it's still a, a primary use for use case for today. So that was really the powerful, exciting part of PhoneGap and, and that kind of technology was being able to access native device APIs like any other kind of app. Mm-hmm. Now, how that really works at a quick high level is you still have to write the native code um, per platform in its right. native language. Uh, and those are bundled up as plugins, much like you'd expect them in any other type of framework. Um, but what's really neat is they're they're published as a single, for the end user developers, we'll call them, they're published and available as, with uh, exposed as, excuse me, JavaScript APIs. So okay. if you're, I love the camera example, right? So if you want to say, from your JavaScript code, uh, take a picture. There's a get camera method that you write that that one line one time, and the plugin basically we don't have to worry about how that works. The plugin will open up the camera and give you the, the end user would take a picture, let's say, and then you're pass back that image data um, and can work with it in JavaScript, and you have that right. kind of standard uniform API and don't have to worry about oh, is this Android? Is this uh, Windows Phone, iOS, all that? It's just one standard uh, mechanism. And everything, all those kind of details are hidden from you as a web developer. Now, when Adobe acquires PhoneGap, they also release a thing called Cordova. Is there still both? Are they different? Yes, that's a great question and often um, can be kind of confusing. So it actually... The timelines I'm I'm not 100% on, but basically as it as it stands now, um, Cordova is um, they're they're both open source, but Cordova is the uh, Apache's open source version, and right. yep. PhoneGap is basically Adobe's uh, extra implementations, plugins, third party tools built on top of Cordova. Um, to most of us, it's basically the same, um, but but Adobe has a couple of um, monthly subscription tools like PhoneGap Build that are um, built into their monthly uh, cloud subscription. You know, the same thing that you'd buy and get access to Photoshop and things like that. They have some additional tools. Um, Yeah, so uh, basically at the end of the day, very similar. Um, You might see them used interchangeably online and and in different articles and things. Okay, and the same plugin that I can make for PhoneGap works in Cordova? Yes, yes. Yep, because at the end of the day, it's you have your separation of your native code, um, implementing whatever platform-specific uh, functionality you want, and then a JavaScript and API that you interact with. Yeah. The other thing that I remember about Cordova slash PhoneGap was that it had 
a much longer tail. It wasn't just iOS, Android. There was all kinds of devices that it supported. Yep, that's right. Um, so going back a few years, you had BlackBerry, uh, Windows Phone, and then I think even Firefox OS, other other types of platforms. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is again be able to to have one application, one set of application code that you're able to repurpose for different platforms. Sure. Um, which there there certainly, and we'll kind of we can kind of talk about you know, this hybrid approach versus native um, and kind of go into that next. Basically, the as, as you can imagine, the, the benefits there that I've always been a fan of is you have so many web developers nowadays and folks mm-hmm. that are, as they're getting into programming, learn JavaScript and HTML and, and you know, the web tech. It's, it's a good... Um, like introduction to uh, programming and, and everything, right? Um, so you have one benefit is skill reuse there. Um, if you have a web right. team that's building out your desktop web at website, having to go and find and skill up different mobile developers can be expensive. And mm-hmm. you might have, you know, so the kind of one of the benefits there in the original thoughts was, you know, reuse their skills, have them apply that to different domains and keep costs down, right? You, you know, you have... Definitely lots of challenges. We'll talk about that, but um, that's kind of one idea. Another idea behind it is um, prototyping, right? So if you have um, folks that can, I mean, we you made some great jokes about CSS. I myself, I'm just absolutely awful at it and <laughs> probably always will be. Bootstrap, baby. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, yes, exa- you have frameworks like Bootstrap and things that can help get some ideas out the door and, you know, don't have to rely on... Um, setting up Xcode and all the different iOS and Android tools and things like that. Now, of course, with um, performance-wise, it's it's not necessarily as good as native. Um, really, how the how this works is is when your hybrid app is packaged into a native app shell. One one of you mentioned it's your code is still executing in an embedded browser that is mm-hmm. called a web view. Yeah, and right. so you're you're the one. Uh, drawback kind of dimension is you're adding multiple layers onto the build process, right? You have um, the bare metal code that that's executed up through this web code. And yes, realistically you're adding on to another layer there. Um, but what's really, uh, I'll kind of get into this more as we talk about more of the progressive web and more HTML5 standards. Um, yeah, a few years back, um, when I started building PhoneGap apps and started getting into JavaScript around 2010 to 2012 or so, uh, HTML5, it, it realistically wasn't there, you know, performance-wise right. and and feature-wise. Uh, that's why we needed those plugins, and still a little bit to this day we do too. Um, in fact, I, um, you may recall 2012 was a big moment for Facebook. They had attempted to write... I believe they're mobile apps in HTML5 and Zuckerberg right. famously said, came back and said, oh, this is not right for us. You know, the web is not there. Now, of course, they have, compared to a lot of the rest of us, massive scaling issues and a lot of things to, you know, kind of c- concerned about having billion plus users. Uh, we'd all love to have that many, you know, for any, whatever business yeah. you're on. They right? have good problems. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I told I totally get that. For them at that point, um, it made sense, you know. So they went, they switched over to native. Um, there was some criticism that they were just doing HTML5 badly. 
mm-hmm. but as I as I recall at the time. But it, you know, it was I do remember it being kind of a seminal moment. But that that had more to do with the conversation about how to utilize mobile devices too, because Moore's law is still being applied to the mobile hardware steadily. It's getting faster, has more memory. Like you, you know, we we're not needing to wring every ounce of performance out of a phone every time anymore. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a really my next uh, thought to share is interestingly that the very next year, 2013 for the web really changed things. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of hinted at it there, Richard, the uh, iPhone five was, was released and other types of better and uh, Android related hardware as well. Um, and, you know, what does that lead to that led to, what are we up to now? Two to four uh, gigabytes of RAM in phones. Yeah. Um, improved from the browser uh, front, both on desktop and mobile. Um, all the providers start- and web browser makers started uh, improving their JavaScript engines and their runtimes. So, and just better CPUs and and just better hardware in general started around 2013. So that's really we we kind of consider that an inflection point where the scale kind of tipped over towards the web. And of course, just one year later is when the Facebook thing happened. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's really, things have come, you know, come a long way. We have um, uh, so much that that has evolved from that. And we'll kind of get into that next. So the, um, there's been a rise of of frameworks and, sort of the pendulum swinging back towards an embracing of web technology. Hmm. Um, We just mentioned at Facebook, well, again, a few years ago, they publicly gave up on the web, it seemed, at least for mobile and everything. Right. Well, what do we have the past couple of years that has gained a lot of popularity? React and React Native Mm -hmm. built by Facebook. So I, I just have to chuckle at that because, you know, they had made such a big stink about it and then here... The table, you know, <laughs> they're coming back to it. Well, if anybody can build a web app at scale, it's them. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. They have to. Otherwise, everybody goes away. Yeah, they've certainly got experience around all of that. Yeah. Exactly. It just seems that the web technologies have gotten so much more mature now that the major browsers are playing nice with each other, mm-hmm. which wasn't always the case. That's very true. You know, one particular um, challenge was Android with different types of... Um, you know, we we still have this today. Fragmentation, uh, different manufacturers b- building different types of phones and supporting different versions of Chromium, the Google Chrome web engine, right? Right. right. Um, but a lot of that has has kind of standardized. I, I um, as of I think it was Android four point four, so quite a handful of versions ago, they Android broke out the web browser into its separate kind of app that can be updated by users. So you don't even need to necessarily um, upgrade your whole operating system. As we know on mobile, that's a, that's a, can be a challenge if users aren't updating their web browsers and and really the whole OS, but now it's an entirely, entirely separate app that can be oftentimes, I think more and more we're seeing on, especially iOS devices, uh, apps and the OS themselves, we're seeing automatic updates take hold on, you know, in the background for users. So you don't have to think about it. Right. And the best part for web tech is you're always using the latest and greatest. So you get those new features, your hybrid, hybrid mobile apps and things get faster over time just because of that better hardware, 
and just because the the um, Safari and Google Chrome and all those browsers are being updated updated automatically. Hmm. And Matt, give us one moment here for this very important message. Save the date for .NET Conf 2018, September 12th through 14th. .NET Conf is a free three-day virtual developer event co-organized by the .NET community and Microsoft. Over the course of three days, you can enjoy a wide selection of live sessions that feature speakers from the community and .NET product teams. These are the experts in their field, and .NET Conf is a chance to learn, ask questions live, and get inspired for your next software project. You will learn to build for web, mobile, cloud, desktop games, services, libraries, and more for a variety of platforms and devices, all with .NET. There are sessions for everyone, no matter if you are starting out or a seasoned engineer. Expect presentations on .NET Core and ASP.NET Core, C-Sharp, F-Sharp, Azure, Visual Studio, Xamarin, and much more. Head to www.dotnetconf.net. That's .netconf.net to learn more and tune in. And we're back. Richard Campbell, Carl Franklin. It's .NET Rocks. We're talking to Matt Necco about the PhoneGap slash Cordova. And you're also an Ionic guy, right? Literally now. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, yes. Yeah. Kind of wanted to segue into talking about some of the frameworks that are available in the in the cross-platform and hybrid space, um, including, of course, Ionic. Um, let's go back really quick to some of the other ones, though, and 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 get back to Ionic, of course. Um, sure. So again, React Native, um, definitely, you know, interest interesting use case by Facebook there. The React framework is is all web-based, and then React Native is their separate but related, of course, um, as we can tell by the name, related uh, implementation that takes your your web code and actually builds um, native apps, so iOS mm-hmm. and Android apps. Uh, what's interesting there is they're, um, they're actually creating, uh, they're not embedding the JavaScript like we do with Ionic and the web assets. They're actually um, transforming that into native code based mm-hmm. on your... Uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, you know, kind kind of an interesting approach, but it's a little limited. You know, you have they're they're really just targeting iOS and Android, yeah, not right. the plethora of uh, platforms there. And that that can be, it can certainly work for you. Um, and uh, kind of along the same lines, Flutter from Google, it's yep, brand new, right. really brand new. Um, and that's written that and with that one, you use Dart, the Dart programming language. Yeah. And kind of a similar outcome as React Native, your it ends up spitting out native versions of your mobile apps for iOS and Android. Um, and then, of course, as as this is .NET Rocks, you have Xamarin, which yeah. is now a Microsoft mm-hmm. property. Um, I'm sure we've had a lot of guests on that, and Couple. that's definitely <laughs> definitely an attractive option for .NET developers, C sharp devs, because you're writing C sharp code that gets transformed into native apps. So uh, I do like that option. And I have coming from a .NET background myself, I have played around with that um, a lot. What's interesting with it is you're adding yet another layer onto the mobile app stack here of when Mm -hmm. these apps get translated um, and different, they have their own kind of templating language in the way that you write the, um, uh, the script tags, the HTML, you know, uh, components that get created. So that can be kind of a little bit of a learning curve there, but definitely an option for .NET devs getting started. 
And lastly is uh, Telerac's native script, right? Which is all, which right. is written very much like Ionic in in web technology with TypeScript and similar languages. Um, and they, but they have their own uh, also have their own set of syntax and layout and kind of language that you have to learn there. Yeah, it, and then of course then it's Ionic. There's just a lot of different tools here. Like, to me, as a longtime observer of the industry. When you, I go down, and I appreciate you going down that pretty comprehensive list. Right. We're all feeling around for the right way to do something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I'm, I, as you kind of mentioned, I joined Ionic just about two weeks ago. I've been a longtime right. fan, and I'm, I'm just absolutely a true believer and have been following them for a number of years. Um, of course, I'm totally biased now, but <laughs> what, it's you know, your job. They're, exactly. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and so their, their approach is of course, totally biased, but leveraging, I think the best of both worlds you have, um, you're still using web technologies. So HTML, um, CSS and JavaScript and, but able to use that singular code base to go truly cross platform without any right. compromises. Um, so we have, of course, mobile apps, iOS and Android, and then um, desktop apps with Electron, kind of coupled together there, another open source library. Um, right. as, as many will probably know, possibly know, um, Visual Studio Code, Slack, I think maybe Skype, other kind of chat tools are built on Electron and, and this kind of approach. So yeah. it's, it's gaining... Tons of momentum. And again, for the average end user, you're not going to necessarily know that it's an Electron app, an Ionic app, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's just it sort of hides that that whole aspect of it. What what you programmed in was almost secondary to the point. Mm-hmm. And that's what's what's really exciting about this, I think, is we're we're seeing and, and we'll continue to see in the in the future a convergence on this technology and a maturity mm-hmm. of javascript and the platforms behind it which is why i'm so excited to be joining them um you know whether regardless of whatever tool or framework you pick it's just an an exciting time i think to be a a developer and be thinking about building cross-platform apps right because the we're getting more and more to a point where it doesn't matter what technology you pick it's opening up so many different worlds and possibilities um that would typically take you whether you're part of a team or, or trying to launch a startup as a solo dev or all those kind of different use cases so much um, on the, on the front end aspect of like we're talking about here has sped up completely. And the amount of power that you have as an individual or a small team or an enterprise is just astronomical. You know, you couple that with um, all of our cloud backends and how amazing those have, have also been built up and you've got everything you need to, really create some pretty amazing apps, right? Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to dissect the meaning of the word progressive, Hmm. which is actually made up of three separate words. You got prog, that means gorilla-like. Okay. Res, which means insanely powerful. And iv, which is the sound your thumb makes when you hit it with a hammer. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's actually I don't even know what that means. It's that's actually pretty time- funny, actually. That's what I think. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually insanely powerful, away. and you'll hit yourself with a, with a hammer. <laughs> All right. Can I finish? Yes. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Compliments of Progress Telerik. But first, let me tell you about Conversational UI from Progress Telerik and Kendo UI. Conversational UI are chatbot framework agnostic user interface controls and components that enable .NET and JavaScript developers to create modern conversational chatbot experiences in their web, mobile, and desktop applications. The industry's first packaged set of user interface components built specifically for chatbots is available as part of the company's Telerik ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, ASP.NET Core, WinForms, WPF, and Xamarin products, as well as Kendo UI for jQuery, Angular, Vue, React, PHP, and JSP libraries. By implementing key UI design features such as calendars, date pickers, list views, and others that are included in the tool sets, developers will be able to improve chatbot conversation through visual elements that enhance the natural flow of conversation. For more information, visit Telerik.com slash conversational dash UI. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Grant Clark. Congratulations, Grant. Yeah. Congrats, Grant. For you. And Grant just won a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you got to sign up to win. All right, and it's your turn, Matt. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? That's a great question. So I just moved to the Madison, Wisconsin area. And as everyone probably knows, we're surrounded by a bunch of lakes. Yeah. And for me, I've <laughs> I've always, and it's summertime, so I'm, you know, been out there and, and fishing and everything. And they're not lakes, me, they're mosquito factories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's been a little tough to get that in the humidity. I'm um, coming from Seattle, so getting yeah. used to that has been <laughs> has been a challenge. Not gonna lie, definitely. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to be out on the water again and everything. And I've always wanted to um, uh, have a, a jet ski, you know, Wave Runner, Kawasaki kind of on a jet ski, mm-hmm. and to kind of cheat a little bit. I don't have a particular model on that, but there's something I did find that I think is just so funny that that I've been thinking about my commute into work and everything. And, um, I found this thing called a bi ski, which is okay. a scooter jet ski hybrid. And you can, it pretty much looks like you'd expect it's, it's like a motorcycle kind of design that goes on land. And then you can just drive that sucker right into, into water wow. and scoot across. So can you unlock it with your phone? <laughs> <laughs> Cause that would be cool. <laughs> Probably and with a hybrid app as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the buy ski and yeah, it, li- it looks like a, <laughs> a, a a jet ski and a motorcycle had a nasty encounter. But <laughs> but I've seen scooters uglier than this thing. So yeah, yeah. lime yep. green scooters are pretty ugly actually. 
So yeah, I think you're going to blow your budget, mind you. Because good it's jet gonna, skis know, are ten grand. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm starting with like a used Wave Runner and then building up to that. How's that? Right. <laughs> All right. Good enough. Wow, this thing looks cool. I might have to have one, you know, living by the water and all. Yeah, see, that's. I thought you guys would go for it. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of your geek out sessions. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fabulous. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are progressive web apps the new spa? Yes, good transition there. Um, yeah. So these are just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're working. Job. We're working again, are we? <laughs> uh, you don't get anything yeah. past me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, progressive web apps are absolutely the next game changer in web and mobile and beyond. I'm extremely excited about them, and naturally, Ionic supports them now out of the box, and uh, will continue to do so for a long time. Yeah. So you don't see progressive web apps as a replacement for all these other libraries? Is this the thing that finally like puts phone gap to bed kind of thing? If the browser can finally do it all? It is eventually that is the idea, yes. Yes. And you know, actually phone gap originally the whole mantra was from the get-go, they've they've always wanted to cease to exist someday. Right, that was right. all, you know, which is which is nice. You know, they've always been uh very vocal about saying we will we want to keep pushing browser makers forward and get these features out of the web. But in the meantime, here's the, here's that native bridge code and, and framework that you can use. Right. Yeah. So what really, what uh, progressive web apps, it's, it is a little bit of a buzzword marketing term for sure. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's a browser's ability to provide modern web capabilities and experiences um, that deliver app-like experiences that we're used to with native apps and desktop apps, things like that. Mm. Um, so those are, those are types of things include um, more support for working offline and, and mm-hmm. having your users perform actions offline and then have those um, automatically get resynced to a cloud backend when they get a signal or when they get cell service again. Um, things like caching support, um, both for deploying updates to them from a web server or other different types of services I'm going to mention here that Ionic provides. Mm-hmm. Uh, push notifications. Um, a lot of us have probably seen those, um, much to our unfortunate no- annoyance with maybe news websites and things when they ask if you want to receive news throughout the day. Those are a, a PWA feature, um, getting right. little notifications in the browser. Yeah. Well, it's just a way to have 20 copies of Chrome running at <laughs> once, consuming resources. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Well, so like any technology, there's there's uh, best practices around it too, right? Right. And pro- probably the most interesting feature that that goes back to what I said about app like experiences is the ability to pin your web app to the home screen on a right. mobile device like an app. Yeah, it's just an just an icon that happens to go to an app. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And again, that kind of talks to that convergence of you know, for a, a non-technical end user, they don't really care what it's built in. You know, they no. want, they just want to access their info. They want to get work done. They want to stay connected to others. So it's, it's quite a, quite an interesting um, evolution there. But as you can imagine, that's probably the, the most exciting because you can do different things like prompt a user to install that to the screen and have that as, you know, it's like an advanced shortcut or a favorite a bookmark, right? right. right? Um, so, the, you know, conceptually, it's it's 
pretty straightforward to understand. And then the other really last part of that, and that's the part that eventually could and and for some use cases already does replace phone gap and, and those type of technologies is um, different device integration HTML5 APIs. So those there's a bunch of them that are available right now. Um, those that work with the, that provide the camera and microphone, right? So you can take pictures even today with with that without needing native um, plugins. Um, right. Support for payments from Apple Pay and all the different providers. I mean, as they kind of like web frameworks changing, changing, you're going to have different payment systems, PayPal over time that will be supported. Um, and then things like device motion, geolocation, file storage, better offline storage of things, Bluetooth. Um, most of that is available today and we can, can be taken advantage of. Um, so just, yeah, absolutely exciting. And what's kind of uh, what I'm really excited about for Ionic is, as I mentioned, we support this right now and we have an, uh, the next version of our framework we called V4 is coming into beta very soon, perhaps even by the time this airs. And that has support for PWAs right out of the box. And perhaps most exciting is traditionally with other versions of the Ionic, Ionic framework, we're really built on top of uh, Angular. And mm-hmm. what Ionic provides um, primarily is, is different mobile UI components. Mm-hmm. So your buttons, mobile drawers, all, you know, all those types of things that can help you build mobile apps and now desktop apps and everything. Those components were um, work very well. They're very performant, but we were trying to building on top of Angular. But with the next version of our framework, we've redesigned everything from the ground up to be built on web components, which is another um, sort of in the progressive web app space of modern web capabilities. Um, basically, those allow you to create your own HTML components, as, as the word says, script tags um, that can be used anywhere, right? And, and truly get that cross-platform experience. Uh, what that allows us to do then is to start supporting all of the other JavaScript frameworks with our UI controls out of the box. So mm. Angular, and we'll still, and that'll be a, a huge focus for, for us still going forward. But now that opens us up to what we were kind of missing before, which is, whatever JavaScript framework is in vogue at the moment, perhaps React, Vue, whatever else has come out since this podcast (laughs) has been recorded, right? Um, We can support all of that right away. So it's, it's, you know, we're very excited for that to drop and we'll still allow you to use all of, um, basically, again, so you have that convergence for end users of getting different features and, and across, you know, platforms and, and moving between different devices. But now for developers, you also don't have to compromise on what framework you want to use. Um, and you know, again, a lot of those other, um, uh, you know, realistically, yes, our, I'm biased, but our competitors are focused on more of the direct native, um, and you know, iOS and Android specifically. Sure. But we've kind of been, just getting to this great spot where we can com- compete on all different types of uh, platforms, desktop, mobile, and browsers and things like that. And all of these uh, platforms are totally on board. Like there is no complaining from Apple or, I mean, uh, is, is Safari going to be the engine on an iPhone that runs progressive web apps? Yes. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, they've um, they admittedly over over the past few years, Apple's definitely been a little slower to to adapt and update Safari yeah. to support the HTML5 features that we really need for the best experience. Uh, Android's typically been, you know, a handful of steps ahead. Um, but they Chrome, you mean? Uh, yeah, excuse me, Chrome. And it, you know, it comes from a place I kind of understand. It's it's competition of they want to direct users to the App Store. Where right. they can collect payments, get their thirty <laughs> percent, you know, all that kind of thing. But you know, the reality yeah. is that's going to change. And Android is the number one platform, right? So they really are. You know, if Android goes in this direction, they're they, you know, maybe for the first time they have to follow someone's lead. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's and that's really speaks to the power of what this is going to uh, lead to. Is there's so much friction these days and you, you don't really see people um, wanting to fill up their phone with, with native apps. You know, you have to go to whatever an app store, maybe scan a QR code or something. But uh, I think I remember seeing somewhere that most users and uh, across the world only install one to two apps a month. If that it's probably less. Yeah. So just being, uh, imagine being able to provide a simple web link that can then be, you know, quickly downloaded a lot, sm- you know, a lot smaller size to download, um, works offline, can be updated seamlessly and provides a better user experience. I mm. mean, that's that's my dream for sure. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, Safari appears to be supporting this stuff, but they have definitely been dragging their feet. I, I've been saying for a while now that Safari has become the new IE6. Mm. In in the sense that it is popular because it's the default browser on the iPad, and it is not compliant with standards currently. So that so the developers have to you know code around Safari, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a good point. I mean, to be fair, it, it's it's still something to think about if you're if you're thinking about hybrid versus native functionality. Sure, um, there is a little bit of lag time there. But from what I've seen, honestly, from building my own apps and other working with other companies, most of them are are CRUD based. You know, yeah, we're, we're talking right. about line of business apps or needing to show and retrieve data for users and interact with it. So, do you need the latest augmented reality something, machine learning, blah blah? You know, in your app, maybe. Or if you're building a, a video game, then that's more of a native use case for sure. But, right. you know, I don't know what the percentages are there, but let's call it 80-20 of 80% where hybrid or, or really the progressive web app movement is going to be a perfect use case for. I, and I do agree with you that it seems to me like PWAs are the way of the enterprise dev in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. I don't know how popular they're going to be in app stores or, if, you know, for regular consumer apps, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. when you talk about a long life known set of support, uh, you know, easy to maintain, easy to keep up to date mechanism. I, it's very hard to argue with PWA. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, I, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're at, at Ionic, we're building out a whole platform of tools that surround and support PWAs and desktop and mobile apps that we're just um, putting a lot of focus into now and are incredibly excited about. Um Things like our our package and deploy feature that lets you um, that add a lot of like CI/CD automation um, to builds and creating these because and which is important you know re- reality is we're going to have 
um, we're going to have users consuming native mobile apps and, and that app store kind of experience for a long time to come. And we provide support for that, for those types of builds, mm. along with what I think is the coolest part of it right now is um, we have abilities to deploy, we have the ability to deploy um, your web assets. So images and then JavaScript, CSS and things like that, deploy um, updates to those without going through the app store, bypassing mm. the app store, um, which is perfectly allowed by uh, Apple. I have a question for you, and that is, you know, getting back to Ionic a little bit. Uh, it, it seems to me that you know when these when tools come out, sometimes there's overlap between, uh, you know, maybe bindings and Angular or another framework, and so the developer ends up uh, with more choices about you know which stack to use for a particular feature. Is there any um, uh, overlap that? you can point to in Ionic or even maybe in PWA for, for that matter. In terms of? Just a functionality overlap, right? Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes uh, you, you'd be using two libraries, you know, like, like uh, I'm using Bootstrap mm -hmm. and Knockout currently, and both have bindings for different features that things that you can do in the browser. So you have to sort of decide which stack you're gonna use for that feature. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually a great question. We're with our uh, the next version of the framework, um, at least on the Angular side of things. So traditionally, Ionix used some concepts like that. They've kind of rolled their own, um, whether it's maybe navigating between screens um, or different like CLI tools that they built out. But we're actually moving towards embracing um for whatever framework it is. I mean, again, prim primarily right now, Angular is our bread and butter, but um, so I can mostly speak about that, but we're definitely getting towards more of a stance of embracing the community tools and the framework tools that we work alongside with um, as a first, as like the first and primary way to go. Yeah. So for example, we're using, rather than, we still have our own CLI that does a lot of different uh, platform services and cloud services, which is really cool, but we're also leaning towards and leveraging like the Ionic CLI more, you know, so that you don't have to try to limit that confusion as much as possible. And same with bindings and um, different framework features. You right. know, the idea more and more for us is to definitely stay out of your way and avoid that confusion as a dev. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know what you're talking about. It can be a lot to, when you go down this approach, there's, there's a lot to get up to speed on and wrap your head around and, the more we stay out of your way in that regard, the better. Well, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. So when you're running inside of this sort of phone gap hybrid container, do you still have access to all of the, the PWA features, the service workers, that kind of thing? Is that available from within that container? Um, well, they're really, you know, really the progressive web app portion is just for the, the um, mobile browsers, like running in a web okay. browser not as much coupled in um, the native app. If you're going to, if you're talking about the, the more phone gap kind of approach where you're have the Android or iOS native app behind it, um, you're likely still using those plugins. Right. Um, hmm. The one, one thing we do have though is, is our, um, we do kind of have our own um, Ionic native plugins that we um, have built on top of some of the, uh, existing open source ones that kind of standardize and simplify the API across everything. 
So again, trying to make it so that you truly do have one code base for everything and right. don't have to have a bunch of, <laughs> as you can imagine, if, st- you know, if this platform call this slightly reworded camera API, if Android do that, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, where possible, we, we do do that and handle that, I think, quite well. Because I'm just going to get my head around this because I've always thought of Ionic as great tooling around building a native app, right? That you, right. you compile your stuff into that form. So, but you're yep. supporting PWA. I'm trying to figure out how that works because that seems counter. No, no, I understand. So we, from our, um, we have a bunch of uh, templates, templated apps that we, that you can start off with. And okay. we ship, uh, as part of that, our, we ship and kind of have determined um, the best practices around um, the configuration of PWAs and service workers and things like that. So right. what's kind of ni- great about that is, again, always lots more to learn and get up to speed on. But for getting started and, and kind of easing you into that, we provide a, a service worker JavaScript file, um, some plug-in XML files and things like that, that if you want to deploy it to a web server as a PWA, you can do that. And, you know, there's okay. there's kind of like, we also use... Um, let's say Webpack when we compile the app, right? Mm-hmm. But to the end user, we they, they don't need to know that. I mean, no. you can, you can, there's so many configurations and crazy stuff you can do with Webpack. But again, yeah. we've taken our knowledge and leadership and applied that into like our tooling so that if you can get into that if you want, but if you just want to deploy and get cracking with caching, you know, push notifications, all that stuff, it's out of the, it's ready out of the box. So are you actually encouraging people using existing Ionic apps on the mobile to make mobile PWA apps as an alternative using a similar set of tools? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Okay. That's the idea. Very cool. But, but I, the plugins aren't going to port across. So depending on where you are in your Ionic app, that might be a non-trivial transformation. That is true. That is true. Um, it, it really depends on um, – there's a little bit of an exercise of, of determining – what type of features and plugins you're using on the native side and what you could support on if you went web web only. Yeah, right. that's definitely true. But I do think this is, you know, what, what you're th- proposing here is this move forward to the sort of plug-in free, we're all, you know, natural web on the mobile device all the way down, which I love. It's just like, mm-hmm. that's a big hurdle to jump. It's not yeah. that small a transformation yet, but it looks like it's getting there. It is. Yeah, I won't I won't lie and say it's it's 100% there and magic and rainbows and everything 100%, but it is getting there. And you know, really there's there is a discoverability for your end users there too. So I think what we're kind of seeing now is you're going to have that one app and one code base but um deploy it as a PWA as a web app and then also to make sure that you don't, you know, lose that discoverability aspect from the app stores, compile and build the native app version of your application and put those in the stores as well yeah and so i also got to think you got to battle the problem when you get to the pwa of the version of the browser the a given chrome implementing pwas is different on android ios and windows and presumably mac os and linux too like they're not symmetrical implementations mm-hmm. that's true um so that's that's kind of where we do have um uh, you know some standard standardization and built in into into our framework to kind of st- you know hide all of those 
let's call them issues, <laughs> you know, okay. with that kind I just of stuff. Quite, I mean, the question is, can you polyfill your way out of this? Right. And in, in a lot of cases, I, I, I'm not quite an expert yet on that, but in a lot of cases yeah. you can, and we do polyfill on that. Yep. Right. Yeah. But you, you imagine the dance here, right? It's one thing to presume implementations for different browsers, another thing to implement for a given browser on multiple platforms. Like that, that mm -hmm. now, now it's three-dimensional chess. Yeah. Yep. Definitely a valid point. So Matt, what's next on your to-do list? Well, um, let's see. So uh, again, we're really looking at, um, getting our, our, the beta for our version four, uh, framework with what built on web components and, uh, you know, able to support all different types of frameworks like react and view and angular. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, we have, we're kind of really concentrated on, on, building out some more CICD kind of capabilities um, that will allow you to work with testing with end users, getting out, um, you know, again, still supporting quite heavily the native approach because that's definitely we're not at a point with the PWA yeah. across the industry, really, that that's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and things like that. So lots, uh, lots to come. That's great. We'll definitely come back and uh, talk to us again when you got something new to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just a couple uh, resources to mention for those that are interested and, and might be new to the uh, cross-platform hybrid approach. Sure. Um, I actually have um, just independently, I uh, about a year ago, published a Pluralsight course that is a um, quick one to two hour journey through building and publishing a, a real hybrid app. Um, going from, you know, very bare minimum um, doesn't use a f really any framework. It's it's mostly HTML, JavaScript, CSS, um, and that's on <clears throat> uses Adobe's PhoneGap build tool, which is kind of a cloud uh, instance that lets you package and transform your web code into a from a zip file into native apps. Um, so really excited about that. If you're interested, it's a it's a gentle introduction. Um, because again, when you're there, there's a lot to whether you're picking a framework or evaluating PWAs, it can be very daunting for sure. I know it was for me. So yeah. really, what I was going for there is just keep it simple. And you know, if you like that kind of approach, you can kind of see what I've done there, and then go and pick. You know, ideally, I <clears throat> of course ideally Ionic, but any of the other frameworks too. Um, and really, you're off to the races. Um, and one last little plug: we do have. Um, uh, what I've always been such a fan of Ionic is is really thought leaders in the space around, around this and especially betting everything on the web and, and open source. So uh, we have a uh, resource center, which we'll put in the show notes um, that has all different types of case studies and info about PWAs and web development in general. So I hope everyone will check that out. Absolutely cool. Hey, thanks a lot, Matt, for spending the hour with us. It was great. Yeah, thank you both. Really appreciate it. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com 
for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 